Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Monday, October 5th, and we are once again live on the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. We are your friendly neighborhood weekly social webcast, finally giving that voice to nearly 5 million young adults affected by cancer. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living, because the Stupid Cancer Show is on the air. Welcome to tonight's broadcast, my friends. We're here to change the world. One chemo infusion at a time, and share all of our collective crapness. This broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, one of the nation's leading grassroots advocates for the next generation of survivors and caregivers. It's all about us, and we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight and sticking it to a system that's ignored us for way too long. The past three decades of cancer progress have failed the next generation, so there's no reason to think the next 30 years will be any different unless change happens now. Join us and be the change that needs to happen. Hell, we invented Google and Facebook and Twitter. We even kept Sanjaya on American Idol all those weeks. We can do anything we want. This is Generation Cancer, and it's our fight and our duty to give back to our own. We have the sheer numbers, the voting power, and the influence. Because remission is not an excuse for a cure, and survivorship is all that matters. Last week's show, Legislate This, with Ann Willis in the spotlight from the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, Molly Daniels from the American Cancer Society's Cancer Action Network, and Duncan Cross, healthcare blogger at DuncanCross.net. Tonight's show, it's October, Stupid Breast Cancer, Pink Nausea. In our spotlight, Stephanie LaRue, young adult breast cancer survivor, spokesmodel, model, spokesperson, patient advocate. Jean Guglielmino, communications director at the Living Beyond Breast Cancer Organization. And Jenna Glazer, <coughs> excuse me, young adult survivor of breast cancer and the associate director of development at the Young Survival Coalition. So hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another fun-filled and exciting and non-pink romp to the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, and a stupid cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. 
coming at you live from the chemo deck. Our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a 13-year, coming up on 14-year young adult pediatric brain tumor survivor. Joining me live in the studio, as always tonight, our chief cancer anarchist, Jack Buffard. Hello, Jack. Hi, Matthew. It's Pink Month. Yay, pink, pink, pink. I think I'm deaf. Thank you. Sorry, I'm just so excited. It's Pink Month. Oh, my God. Pink nausea is my favorite month of the whole year. I hadn't heard. We'll have to talk about that later. Anyway, Jack will be monitoring our live concurrent interactive chat room. So if you have something to say, let him have it and grill him with simple questions to stump his small little brain. I'm pink in the chat room, too. Yes, he is pink in the chat room. In our live studio audience tonight, we welcome from Boston the lovely and talented Kelly Johnson. Hello, Kelly. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Not too bad. You like the chemo deck? Oh, yeah, it's awesome. All right. And the couch is comfy, right? It definitely is. All righty. And uh, as always, it is my esteemed pleasure to welcome my official partner in crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show, hailing from the Windy City of Chicago, fellow young adult survivor and author of the acclaimed book, Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in Your 20s and 30s, Sold Wherever Books Are Sold, the lovely, talented, <laughs> blocktastic, and spectacular Carol Rosenthal. Hello, Matthew. Hello, my darling. Are you aware that it's October and there's some sort of colorization of our efforts? You know, I was shocked because on October 1st, when I was driving down Lakeshore Drive, heading south into the loop, I looked up at the Hancock Tower, and it was rainbow striped. And I was like, oh, my God. Has some, are we repeating September over again? Because it can't be October 1st. The building is not pink. And I realized that there is one thing that takes precedence over breast cancer, and that is Chicago trying to get into the Olympics. <laughs> Is I was wondering what could what could supersede it, and and now I have found out it's the Olympics. Screw well, breast cancer, man! It's all so about that, the Olympics. So every city in the country needs to apply to join the Olympics every September. Yeah, if you don't want to have to look at the pink. Right. Wow. Yeah. Jeff but was it, telling it, me that all the football games have pink goalposts, and pink we're, we're watching one right now. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah, pink so gloves. The so guys are wearing pink gloves and pink, pink ribbons gloves, in the pink field. Pink gloves, pink goalposts, pink jock straps. Well, look, I just, hope, I just hope that it still means something to people. You know, well, you know what I'm really impressed about with this whole NFL promotion is, I don't know if there is a charity attached to this whole pink campaign. It's not in any of their advertising, but everything that they're talking about with this NFL pink campaign is breast cancer awareness and, er- and early detection. So as far as I know, I'm happy with them. Okay. But if there is a charity attached to it that, you know, again, does nothing for young adults, then I'm going to be unhappy with the NFL. But it seems that everything is just about raising awareness and detection. So that's a good thing. Yeah, that is a good thing. Well, I, I, you know, I, let me challenge that for a moment. First of all, I don't think that there is anything wrong with there being organizations that do things for people 
other than young adults. I mean, not that I'm not advocating for us, but... I'm biased, though. <laughs> you know, it, it is okay that there are people out there advocating for other age groups. It's just that there's not enough for us. So I, I, I'm cool if it happens to be for something other than young adults. Yeah, yeah. They, we're not slandering the groups that, that aren't young adult-focused. My my personal issue is, just to wrap up your thought, Carol, <laughs> in my own words, <laughs> is that the organizations that have the 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 money, the infrastructure, and the influence to choose to support young adults aren't doing that. Agreed. Okay. And I actually, the thing that I have more of a beef with is, oh, my God, Jack Buffard is pink in the chat room. Sorry, that just caught my eye. Um, so the the thing that I, I am really curious about is what does, what is awareness and early detection? I mean, I'm not – those are becoming catchphrases to me. I'm not exactly sure what awareness means anymore. That's kind of a vague word. What are we becoming aware of for whom and in what ways? And um, early detection, I think that there's a lot of debate and a lot of misunderstanding about what scientifically does lead to early detection and in different age groups. And so I I don't know. I, it, it's just this pink season – is striking me differently than ones in the past. I feel like I'm being a bit more reflective about what does this language mean that we're all using. I certainly hope this money is being used for something good, and I know that it has done good in the past and in various endeavors, but I I, want to understand what cancer awareness means, what breast cancer awareness means, because you have to be living under a rock to not know that women can get cancer in their boobs. Yeah, I would I would agree. I, I would also say that, that there's definitely something in the air this year that wasn't there last year and that wasn't there the year before. Every year, people get more and more uppity about this whole takeover of our market share. And there, are these, there were three, if not four, incredibly compelling mainstream published uh, articles in Newsweek, the Boston Herald and the Boston Globe by three separate journalists going over incredible disparities and um, bad governance and sort of just indiscretionary, you know, oversights on, you know, responsibility when it comes to these things. I was so happy that the mainstream media is now catching up to our opinions (laughs) after all these years now and really calling out the the wrongdoing that's going on out there, the the total abuse of consumer goodwill, and you know it it's not. I think the I'll I'll conclude with this is that most people get so offended, and I'm going to say they're probably all in their 50s and 60s. And sorry if you're listening, you're not one of those people. That when you're anti-pink, you're somehow anti-breast cancer. And well, there are a lot of young people who I think fall into that category, too. I don't know. I, there are an awful lot of young people, I think, who really support the pink cause. And for me, it's not a matter of, like, pink or not pink. It's just, is this sensible? Are we using this money sensibly? Are we, or is this just a circus? And one thing that I loved about the article in the Boston Globe, and if all of you in listener land have not yet read that article, just go to the Boston Globe website, and I'm sure if you Google something like you know, breast cancer 2009 or breast cancer. Wasn't it called Sick of Pink? 
Thick of Pink. Thick of Pink. It was just such it was just award-winning writing. It was great investigative journalism, and not just because I'm I'm for picking apart this issue, but because it's so rare that I look at a newspaper these days and I can tell that the journalist was doing something other than just rewriting someone's press release. And this journalist did incredible research and incredible investigation and really caught a bunch of different companies that were violating uh, a particular law that relates to cause-related marketing or how to register a company to do that in the state of Massachusetts. And it was really phenomenal because it kind of caught them all with their pants down. Um, That's happened to me on numerous occasions. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I never know where to go after you say things like that. I know. Sorry about that. It's just a dead end. (laughs) I know. I think I just have to just – I need some little ping back where it just goes straight back to you. You've got to keep on running because I'm I'm silenced. I feel like we just – Hey, now. There we go. Start over. <laughs> As you were saying. Yes, exactly. No, but I, and Carol, I, I could, you and I talked about this a lot, too, off the air, but that it did. And, and this is one of the instances, you know, I'm not really big. I used to do this. I don't really do it much anymore, where you're really pointing out this organization is responsible. Here's the name of the organization. Here's the CEO. Here's, it's almost less about that now and more about the, uh, you know the general cultural implications of this, and and but this particular article in the Globe did mention Coleman, and I actually friended the author. She's on Facebook. We had a very nice conversation over email on Facebook, and she said to me that she was so impressed that Coleman actually decided to contribute to the article. They were very evasive, and then they joined, and then they were part of it. But like you said, it was almost like this expose of oops. You know, we didn't know we were supposed to be doing this legal thing when we're helping you. I just found that so outrageously fabulous, if that's the best way to put it. Well, and it was really interesting how transparent um, the interview was that she did with, um, I think it was New Balance, the running shoe folks. Yes, And they were just kind of saying, look, you should be grateful to us because we're spending money on this from our marketing budget. This isn't even our feel-good philanthropy money. This is our marketing budget. And I was like, right, exactly, and this is a marketing tool, and you're profiting from it. So, I mean, with absolutely no judgment call there one way or the other, uh, what's the problem here, folks, if you're spending marketing money on increasing your sales? Um, so, yeah, it was this sort of like you should be grateful to us thing. And and I guess, you know, at the end of it, it just reinforced to me to for me to have really good responsible consumer behavior. I personally do not um, pledge for walks and bikeathons and races because, you can't. I get like ten requests a day, and I'm too poor. <laughs> I don't have enough money to sponsor everyone. But I also just really don't buy cause-related marketing because for me, I'm I am more enticed by picking an organization who I think really understands the policy, the science, the research, the advocacy, the support needs of people living with cancer, and I just write a check to them directly because I'm not really interested in supporting the marketing branch of a big corporation. I just want 100% of my money to go to a really great nonprofit organization, and that's I, I just I think that's the way to go personally. Well, you know, we we keep having these cancer research experts on the show from time to time, and every one of them says, "Don't ever write your check to anything except a scientist. <laughs> like, don't even give to the charities." Write it directly to a scientist because, 
you know, when you write a check to a cancer organization and they're going to fund research, you're going to lose, like, a large percentage of that, and ultimately the research is only going to get a, a percentage of that. If you write a check to an actual research guy, you don't get your tax refund or your tax benefit, but you know 100% of your check is going to be spent on that guy. And I just find that so, like, eliminate the middleman, be really smart mm-hmm. about, you know, how, I mean, this we live in the Enron generation. We, we've been swindled, and capitalism has been terrible. And people are still just so willy-nilly okay with, like, not being consumer advocates. Forget pink, anything. Like, it, I don't... You, people out there, you're getting used by the corporate system, you know, and they're sucking your goodwill into their wallets. Where do we draw the line, though? I mean, if there's an I2I credit card or there's a give cancer the finger or wristbands, how do you draw the line? No, but I think that's a very interesting question, and I'd love to, to open that question up to our guests tonight. Where do you draw the line? I would say you draw the line when public opinion starts to surface. <laughs> you know, the um, pink porta potties, I would say, is where you draw the line. My favorite one was the pink street cleaner going down the street the other day. <laughs> oh, my God. Kelly well, the thing that I loved about it is that you know that some Streets and Sands guy in Chicago is having to drive that and is just completely mortified. You that know, sounds almost as bad as the, as the street sweeper with the Cubs logo on it. Oh, I saw that outside Wrigley Field a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kelly here was telling us that they paint the ice pink in the hockey rinks uh, during this month. And in Boston, is that? Is... Uh, actually, back back home in um, Kennewick, Washington. Oh, okay. <laughs> Doesn't make it any better. Would they just put food coloring in the Zamboni or something? <laughs> no idea. But, I mean, the the larger conversation here is, again, anyone out there that's getting all upset with us, this is not an anti-breast cancer thing. We are happy that awareness for breast cancer is out there, but how does that actually translate into people really getting better access, better care, better detection, better treatment, better quality of life, and better outcomes? And at least as far as our agenda is concerned, how does any of that money raised from the pink nausea of October and beyond benefit young adults? And again, another question for our guests. Excellent. Well, I'm excited to have our guests on tonight. Yeah. Let's have that talk. All right, Jack. Well, you got a breeze through the news here in about five minutes, so yeah. uh, let's let's start our segment here. Here we go. Yay. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Alrighty, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce worthy news stories to our adoring listeners to inform them about the latest and greatest in free young adult programs, services, events, projects, and other stuff. If you have an upcoming program, event, or press release that you would like to hear broadcast during this segment, please fax it to us at 646-861-2565 or email jackmufford at jack at i2y.com. Take it away, bro. Good evening. This is your Stupid Cancer News. Events.i2y.com is your one-stop shopping for all official I2Y sanctioned events. Events.i2y.com has happy hours listed for Philadelphia on October 13th 
We have a chapter meetup in Staten Island on the 15th. We have uh, Hockey Fights Cancer in Ohio. We have North Carolina Happy Hour, October 20th. We have I'm Still Beautiful, which Matthew and I will be attending in Nashville, Tennessee. That is a, uh, a fashion show fundraiser benefiting I2Y. So if you're in Nashville, check out uh, events.i2y.com, October 22nd in Nashville. And then we have on Halloween, ooh, it's the inaugural Stupid Cancer Scare-tacular. And I will not be wearing pink at that because that would just scare the crap out of everybody. So again, events.i2y.com for all your I2Y sanctioned events. Survivors in Chicago. Feel free to leave your parents at home and come celebrate with other, other adolescent and young adult cancer child... I'm sorry, let me do that again. Survivors in Chicago, feel free to leave your parents at home. Come celebrate with other adolescent and young adult childhood cancer survivors. Featuring dinner, prizes, and an open forum starring Matthew Zachary, Johnny Emmerman, and George Lemparis. It is being held Saturday, November 7th at the Palace Grill in Chicago, ages 16 and up. It's a free event. And, Matt, is there a website for this event or no? No, no, no there's, website. There's not. So listen to the replay if you need more information on that. But it's Chicago, November 7th from 5 to 8. 70k.org. 70k.org. There are approximately 70,000 young people aged 15 to 39 diagnosed with cancer every year. By signing this bill, you are supporting the Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Bill of Rights to be established as a standard for care to meet the needs of this underserved population. Cancer Care has these programs up and running right now. We have Living with Cancer, Life After Cancer, Young Adults Who Have Lost a Parent, Young Women with Breast Cancer, Young Adult Individual Grief Counseling, and Young Adult Caregivers. Head on over to cancercare.org for more information on that. Cancer Survivors. In Rhode Island and southeastern Massachusetts are invited to start an exercise program by joining Survivor Step Into Motion. If you would like to partake in this, you can contact Santina Horowitz at area code 401-793-8124 or email her at shorowitz at lifespan.org. Thyroid Cancers. The Thyroid Cancer Survivors Conference is the top is hosting the, the nation's top thyroid cancer experts who will be presenting the latest research and advances in treatment at the 12th International Thyroid Cancer Survivors Conference, October 16th through the 18th in Boston, Massachusetts. Anybody interested in attending this event, head on over to thyca.org. That's T-H-Y-C-A dot org. Speaking of Boston, Planet Cancer is hosting their 18 to 25-year-olds retreat, and that is October 23rd through the 25th in Boston, Massachusetts. It's a free event, and head on over to planetcancer.org for more information. Friday, October 16th, in Cleveland, Ohio, is Rise Above It. Head on over to raibenefit.org for more information. And we have Live On, Sperm Banking by Mail for Cancer Patients. If you are a young adult male who is in need of of fertility... uh, Jack, are you okay tonight? No. I'm pinked out, man. I think I had too much Pepto-Bismol. All right, finish up. I'll be okay. I'm actually fighting my cough. I'm, I still got my cough, but... <clears throat> live-on, sperm banking by mail. If you're a young adult male in need of a live-on kit to do sperm banking before you begin treatment, head on over to liveonkit.com. And I just want to send a special shout-out, Matt, our friend Laura, who was sick last week. Yes. She's feeling much better now. 
and she's actually going to be partaking uh, in an event on Saturday at the Groove in Manhattan. She's going to be doing a Survivor's Talk. So it's at the Groove in Manhattan from 4 to 8. So anybody in New York who wants to go out there and support our friend Laura, we'll hope to see you there. And that, my friends, is your Stupid Cancer News. All righty. <laughs> All right, 9:24. My first guest tonight was diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer when she was only 30 years old, after having been misdiagnosed by several fabulous physicians. Stephanie Larue was given one year to live. After choosing aggressive, complementary, and integrative therapy, she has emerged a dedicated activist. She concentrates on raising awareness of the need for breast cancer diagnoses in young women in their teens, 20s, and 30s, a diagnosis that was previously ignored and unspoken. She hopes that the days of hearing you're too young to have breast cancer will be over real soon. Please welcome Stephanie LaRue. Hello, Stephanie. Hello, I'm not here. <laughs> you're there. You are here. No, I'm not. I'm not there. I'm here. <laughs> yes, that's right. You are there. Where is there? Uh, there is here, and here is in L.A. L.A. that you uh, recently traveled to, I think. Yes, and I'll be there in two weeks for a wedding. Oh, good. So we can molest you again. Not mine, is it? <laughs> you can any time. Oh, my my L.A. groupies can always molest me. That is true. Exactly. Ooh, I, I get my, my yeah. My wife's like L.A. groupies. That's fine. She likes when yeah. I, she just likes when I get attention. So there we yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think Leslie. <laughs> Carolyn are excited for you to return. So, yeah. so we got a we got a you know five or five or seven minutes to have a conversation here about your story and and the, the pink stupidity and all that. So you were thirty diagnosed with breast cancer. You are one of six thousand young women diagnosed with breast cancer every year under forty. Um, what's your take on the? You've been listening for the whole show. What, what's your take on uh, on on the, what's going on? The pink nausea? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I have some thoughts on that. First of all, um, I, I was that person that was under the bus that, that had no idea that young women got this disease because when I was diagnosed, which was three and a half years ago, I had no clue that I could get breast cancer. I don't have a family history of it. At my age, it's something I never thought about, nor was I even exposed to any kind of educational information that young girls get the disease, even with no family history. So I, I had no clue, and that's why I think I was so dumbfounded and blindsided. You know, I, that's why I want to say not everybody is aware, even the younger girls especially, that they can get this disease. And I really stress, even with no family history, because, you know, everybody thinks, oh, if you have a family history, then you're at high risk, then you need to start going in for mammograms earlier, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, what about the 80% of women who don't have a family history? And I fall into that bracket as well as many other young women. So, you know, I'm very grateful for the education and, and the empowering information that, you know, is put out there year to year, especially during the month of October. But I, I understand how it can get a little bit overbearing. Um, the cause marketing is a, is a, you know, whole different topic. I mean, my God, one side of my brain said, you know, yes, I'm grateful for it because if, if it's made more people aware which awareness, you know, I think Carol was talking about what is awareness. I mean, I, I'm speaking on it. I was not aware that I could get the disease at 30 years old, just like I'm sure there are so many other young people, in particular young women and men, 
who are not aware still that they can get this disease at such a young age. They don't worry about it because we, it's been branded in our society as a mother and grandmother's type of disease, I think, traditionally. Stephanie, I'm so, I'm curious, I'm, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Do you, are there any good examples that you've seen that awareness that this, like, Pink Ribbon or Breast Cancer Awareness Month brings to make people aware that young women get breast cancer? Because that's not the message that translates into my head when I see these pink ribbons. Like, I don't see that and think Stephanie LaRue could have gotten cancer. See, are you no, but I, I can guarantee you by each person, especially myself, sharing our stories, especially mm-hmm. being younger women and, and sharing sto- our stories of, of going through this, you know, has educated other people, whether it's another young person or a grandmother that has a granddaughter that she t- goes home and talks to about it. You know, it, it just depends. I mean, it's, it's kind of how you, what you take from it, and you obviously take a different message from it. I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, the, as much advertising and promotion in the right way, in the right way, because, yes, it can get nauseating depending on some people's strategy and the way that they, you know, promote it and advertise it. But, you know, I, I think it's very informative because I, I fell into that bracket of, God, I wish I would have paid attention. I wish they would have really focused on younger women back in the day so I wouldn't have been so blindsided or, you know, felt so dumb that I didn't know I could get it. But, I mean, hey, three doctors that I saw here in Los Angeles at a top credible, you know, institution – if they missed it, and I, I sure the hell didn't know about it, you know, think about what's going on in smaller cities and states. That's what's scary. They completely dismissed the the possibility I could have breast cancer with a golf ball-sized lump in my breast because they specifically said to me and my family, you are too young. You don't have a family history. The way that you look, you're athletic, you're, you know, you're pretty, you're in shape. Girls look like you don't get this disease. They said this to us. So that, and that, and it wasn't just one doctor. There was, you know, three at this one hospital. Needless to say, I left that hospital. But, you know, that's, that's scary. So that's what you have to take into consideration. Everybody's got different stories of what they go through. And, and um, I just think that the more that people share their stories and, yes, sharing the pink ribbon and what it symbolizes and carries on through tradi- tradition and each of our stories, how it represents, you know, the trials and tribulations of what you go through in battling this disease, some winning it and a lot not, you know, st- sticking around for, you know, the end of the game, so to speak, um, I think that it has represented, you know, really good empowering information, especially for the younger generations coming up, because I was that person, and there are just as many 20- and 30-year-old girls out there right now that have no clue because they're not tapped into a breast cancer organization. They don't have a, you know, grandmother or an aunt that's died from it, or they just, you know, blocked it out, and they, they just are uneducated about it, basically. Well, I think, you know, two really important words that you used were, well, three, education, information, and stories. And I think a lot of what I'm seeing doesn't have any of those attached to it. And I think, so what you're talking about, about getting stories out there and real education information is so important, and of course that's necessary. And of when, course, it, it brings makes a personability, you know, it counts for a personability to the cause. And you were talking about the NFL earlier. I think it's I, it's kind of you know freaked me out a little bit when I was <laughs> watching my TV because you know I'm from Texas so I'm a I'm a football whore I I love my Cowboys but to see pink out there I was like what what the hell where did this come from but you know I have a, an issue because I was on their website when you guys were talking about it, I don't know what cause is attached to it because you're right there's been nothing that's branded on in these football games all I can see in googling this is that an American Cancer Society is attached to it. What if they attach personal stories with the football players' mothers or wives or girlfriends that had been diagnosed with it, you know, and so on and so on? 
you know, I think that's that's where the real story is. And they could have really used that as a, you know, a really good cause marketing initiative for them. But all I see is the American Cancer Society on here. I mean, what the hell is that about? <laughs> I don't understand that. Well, tell us some ways, because, I mean, I want to sort of hone in on this thing about telling stories, because it's obviously so powerful for other people to see and know, like, who you are and that you indeed could get breast cancer. I mean, that's the story I heard over and over again when I traveled to what you were talking about, these really small towns all over the United States and even in big cities, too, is that everybody thinks, you know, you're too young to get breast cancer. Doctors assume that you can't get it. Patients assume that they can't have it. What are you've been so powerful in telling your story and getting it out there? What are some ways that other people can do that? Because that's what's useful. You know, give listeners some ideas about what they can do to get their stories out there, so that other people can learn from them. Well, I mean, I I think first of all, it it probably can start with some of the organizations out there that, and I know the Young Survivor Coalition is doing this as well as Komen and and um, LBBC and. It's it's been you know a powerful tool you know global marketing is is definitely um, the most viral power, powerful tool that we have because you know forget paper anymore really you know instead of getting the LA Times you're just going online to read about it so I think tapping into those organizations and making sure those organizations are really putting forth you know the the people of their organizations that are connected to it the the people that are battling have you know experienced this whole thing you know posting videos of them taping them on YouTube I know there's some people that are doing that um, on Facebook as well, but connecting to these profiles, connecting to the organizations and the organizations on their websites, featuring different survivor stories through um, write-ups as well as video. And I mean, really, t- you know, zooming in on a tight frame, getting these people's stories and who are speaking from experience because that's where it hits the heart. That's where it hits a home run, a big home run with the heart. And, you know, that's what Pete Cap. That's what cap, uh, captivates people that are watching and listening. They want to go online and, and, you know, further research this. You put a video on there like that, and it's like it just, you know, you get, you get chills. That's the whole point. You get chills that, so that you don't, you don't forget it. You remember what that person says, you know, everything that they talked about, and then you share that. You take that away with you, and, you know, when your wife gets home, gets home from work or your, your daughter, you know, is in college, you talk to her about it um, because that's the most powerful tool of word of mouth to me. It really, really is. Well, you know, before we move on to our other guests, there's so much talk about organizations because every organization is like stepping up with the pink for breast cancer awareness month and you're so entrenched in the breast cancer community. You're such an incredible advocate. Who do you support? Like what organizations out there do you say, you know what, they're really right on with, you know, their education, their information around breast cancer? Well, the, I, I have to say the Young Survivor Coalition, you know, that is the first organization that um, I was introduced to, so to speak, um, through my good friend Dikla and the annual conference. That's the first conference I attended. And I was in chemo at the time, and I, um, you know, of course went there and met up with 800 other girls from everywhere that were pretty much going through somewhat of the same things that I, I was experiencing at the time. But that was a big connectivity for me because I, I you know, I didn't have anybody else that was exactly my age with my diagnosis until I went to that conference and met, you know, with my best friend, Kristen Martinez. So that was very beneficial to me because she was same. We were diagnosed six weeks apart, same age, same diagnosis. Kind of, kind of scary, but you know, that really um, elevated my desire to, you know, get into advocacy and because of the issues they specifically address, which is being under the age of 40, you know, being in menopause. 
um, having all the way from early stage to stage four mets and what that means in terms of fertility, in terms of dating and sexuality. You know, they even have some great programs that they have got going on for, for lesbians and bisexual. I mean, it's really important to address each and every, you know, demographic, I think, so that no one's left out, feeling left out, you know, then they're too embarrassed to come forward. But, um, but I, I, they really speak to the issues that I'm, you know, hell, I'm still on menopause. I'm still pissed off about it. I'm still hurt. I can't have kids, you know, and it sucks being single trying to date whenever you, you know, have scars or pores or any of that crap going on. And, and so, you know, for, for breast cancer, for me, that, uh, that's, you know, definitely hit home with me. Also, you're, you know, so, you're so vocal and you have such you have such an amazing story and you tell so much of it. Where can people go to learn more about the woman who is Stephanie LaRue? <laughs> if people want to get in contact with you, if they want to learn more about, you know, what you're doing, how, how can they get in contact with you? Well, hopefully I won't be sitting in a jail cell <laughs> soon. <laughs> you know, when you uh, you have your own mind to speak and, uh, you know, your own opinions and everything, it, it, uh, you hope that it doesn't offend anybody. But, um, but you know, it's about being blunt, straightforward, and, and authentic, I think. Um, but I, I'm, I'm connected to the profile industry as well, you know, just like you, just like Matthew. I'm, I'm on Facebook and MySpace and Survivor Celebration and Coleman and... Um, Gosh, where else? I, I'm, I'm just, I'm online, so. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for, for being on here tonight. I really hope that people do look up Stephanie, because if you can't tell from her being on the show right now, the woman's a powerhouse. <laughs> We're yes, so glad that star, you're here. Star, rock star. I try to be a fun powerhouse, you know? <laughs> you got to celebrate life while you got it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. and you are, you, I think you are the epitome of fabulous, Stephanie, truly. Aw. I agree. You're so sweet. I concur. I'll send you your money in the mail. Okay, yes. <laughs> Stephanie's on payroll. Sorry, Jack. I thought yeah. she was sending you a donut. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you, Stephanie. Stephanie Leroy, everybody. All righty. Okay, my next guest has a last name that I did my absolute best to learn how to pronounce for a very M-E-Y-E-R? long time. Or no, that was your baloney. Never mind. <laughs> Janine Guglielmino is the Director of Information and Strategic Initiatives for Living Beyond Breast Cancer. She oversees the organization's printed and virtual publications, research initiatives, and strategic planning. Formerly, she served as Communications Director and was responsible for media relations, marketing, and advertising. She and LBBC have a strong commitment to young people with cancer, most powerfully demonstrated by their partnership with the Young Survival Coalition and the annual conference for young women affected by breast cancer. Please welcome to this stupid cancer show, Janine Guglielmino. Great job, Matthew, with my name. I, I did grow up on Staten Island with a whole lot of Italian people, and, you know, there's a learning curve with these names sometimes. You're, you're oh. doing great. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you back as our returning champion. Thank you so much. And it's great to follow Stephanie. I mean, it's wonderful to hear her talk, and a lot of things that she said made me think. Um, Particularly just about, um, you know, during the month of October, there really isn't a ton that's out there that does focus on young women affected by breast cancer. It's not really – It's. I kind of see Breast Cancer Awareness Month as – 
it's 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 like the end of the race. Everyone's running, running, running toward it, and it's when all the attention is on breast cancer. And I don't think there's a ton out there that's specific to young women with breast cancer. And I think it's something that we should think about um, as an organization and um, as advocates for women with breast cancer, because I do think a lot of the the information that's out there. Um, is really more for postmenopausal women during this month. That's kind of the image that's put put out there. Um, although interestingly, I think that if you look at the companies that um, are selling products, pink products, they're obviously looking to capture the interest of that younger dem- younger demographic. So a lot of the products are kind of more designed for younger people. Um, so some of the things that she said made me think about that. Well, I mean, let me ask you a question because I know Carol has a whole host of stuff, and this is probably going to be one of our most exciting shows of the season this week and next week, is that the um, – I mean, I used to work in advertising and marketing for a very, very long time, so I'm really attuned to, um, to, to good you know, sleuthy campaigns. A lot of the breast cancer uh, marketing tactics and strategy and the outreach in the cause marketing is largely geared towards the youth market. It's right. largely geared towards, and all the ads feature these pretty young women. Don't you think it's a little, uh, you know, dupl- uh, du- duplicitous? Is that the word? That you know, or or just in, in unethical or misleading that they're using a population to market their wares that don't serve that population. Well, I'm I'm not sure it's duplicitous as much as as it is that they don't really understand. They don't understand the the damage that they're doing and they don't understand the the connection between um, you know they're just their job is to sell a product it's right. not really to educate people about breast cancer and that that is what can be frustrating for those of us who are working with people with breast cancer and so i know at living beyond breast cancer we try very hard to work with these companies and help them to understand what we're trying to do um, and to make sure that our name is associated with their products so that people who buy the products have access to the information about breast cancer and can actually learn something after they've purchased the product rather than just buying something and, and thinking, well, I bought something pink, I'm doing something, um, that they can learn what the risks are and, and where they can get support if they're diagnosed. So your organization is an incredible place for young adults to get support when they're diagnosed. And you guys have a helpline, which is like, it's so retro. Oh, my God, a phone number <laughs> that people can call. I kind of love it. Um, tell me a little bit more about the helpline and what it can do specifically for young women with breast cancer. Sure. Well, actually, our retro helpline, we are about to launch an online part of our helpline. So we're, we're entering the 21st century. and people are Damn, be... I like phone lines. <laughs> well, we will still have the phone lines. Um, but, you know, it's retro, but the thing is connection is never retro. And I think that the thing that's most useful to younger people is that we match we match people specifically. So if you're 25 years old and you call and have breast cancer and you ask to be matched with a young person, we're not going to match you with someone who's 55. We're going to match you with someone who has had your experience or a similar experience so that you can talk about it with that person. And, and is that the purpose of the helpline is to connect people to each other one-on-one? It is. It's to provide peer support. Mm-hmm. Um, we 
you know, we don't, we're not doctors or social workers. We don't provide medical information. But it's a place where um, a young woman could call, for example, and, and say, you know, I'm thinking about taking tamoxifen and I'm concerned about these issues and talk to someone who maybe has taken the tamoxifen or, or who has made the decision and, and kind of just talk through with that person what were you thinking about, um, what were you experiencing at the time, and maybe help, um, help her to, to think about what kind of questions she wants to think about when she talks with her doctor or with her loved ones. So that's really the purpose of our, of our helpline. And when is your help, what are the hours of your helpline? So well, you can call the helpline um, all times of day. It's only staffed live on Tuesdays from 11 to 3. Mm-hmm. But anytime you call, someone will call you back within 24 hours. That's great. So, and it's a, it's a toll-free number. It's 888-753-LBBC. So um, we, we definitely invite you to call. And, and soon we will have an exciting new feature where you can email in your your question and someone will call you back. I have a question here. This is sort of like just a sardonic little jazz here. <laughs> sure. But, Shocking. But, um, <clears throat> have you ever had a young woman with breast cancer call in that wants to talk to a 55-year-old woman? Um, I don't know the answer to that, but my guess is the answer would be yes, because one of the things um, at our annual conference for young women affected by breast cancer is a lot of the younger women like to see women who were diagnosed at a young age but are now in their 50s or 60s. And so we've, and the way, the way we define a young woman affected by breast cancer is once you've been diagnosed at that age, no matter what age you are, you're a young woman affected by breast cancer. So yeah, we, that's our loophole too. Yeah, so we, uh, we do have women who come to that conference who are in their 60s or 70s, and it's, it's a really moving experience for those women because they had obviously nothing can I share a little story along those lines about Please. you know the, the the intergenerational sharing? So this summer I was on vacation and I stayed in the bed and breakfast, which I am not a big B and B fan. It's just like too much of somebody else's life that I don't necessarily want to know about. But <laughs> I was in this incredibly small town, and the only place to stay was a B and B. They had one B and B, no hotels, no motels, nothing. This is in North so, Carolina. Uh, no, this is Georgia. Georgia is close, right? Yeah, they and so. So I was staying at this, at this B&B, and this woman, uh, you know, she asked me what I do. I said, I'm an author. Or, what do you do? Oh, I write books. I just publish a book. What's it about? Oh, young adult cancer. And, and sometimes people don't care that I have thyroid cancer. They look at me. I'm a woman. I got boobs, and they're like, oh, breast cancer. I'm like, no thyroid cancer. Oh, breast cancer? Anyway, so, you know, a lot of people like thinking that I have breast cancer, and if I, you know, correct them a couple times, they don't listen, then I just play along with it. And so, you know, I don't talk about having breast cancer, but I just sit there as they tell me about their breasts and things like that, and I just absorb the information. Well, I went, I got up, and I went into the kitchen to get a glass of water, and this woman, she's like 65 years old, she just flashed me. She took her shirt off and was just like, look at my perky breasts. Giggity, giggity, giggity. Oh, no. Oh, my God. 65-year-old boobs? Dude, I am Exactly for what to say. And she said, you know, I went through breast cancer when I was in my early 20s, and this woman is now in her 60s, so that was in the, what was that? The, I can't do math that quickly. Is it probably in the 50s, 60s? In the 60s, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and she was just, she was 
feeling up her boobs, and she was so proud of them. And I have to say, I was kind of like, oh, my God. She had the nicest boobs I've ever seen on a 60-year-old woman. They Yummy. were amazing. And she was telling, but she was, she was so proud, and she was so excited to share that experience with somebody yeah. who was younger and to be able to say, like, look, I'm alive, and my boobs look better than any other woman my age because they're not real. And it was a very – it totally took me back. I think it was a little bit more than I necessarily needed to see from the B&B owner. <laughs> but it kind of made me realize that there's, like, this very interesting intergenerational connection between people who have been there and done that and are wanting to inspire other young women. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's extremely meaningful. I mean, at Living Beyond Breast Cancer, our director of education is a is a young survivor. She was diagnosed when she was 34 and we just honored her. She's now 18 years from her diagnosis. And she is one of the reasons, you know, one one of the forward-thinking people that has allowed us to grow our programs for young women affected by breast cancer. And it's just, it's so meaningful when she goes to talk with women in their early 20s who have just been diagnosed or in their early 30s. It's so meaningful to them to know that this woman has seen her children grow up, seen them graduate from college, you know, and, and will hopefully see other milestones in their life. So it's, it is important, and obviously if, if someone wants to be matched with an older woman, we can do that as well. First of all, well, Carol, I'm never traveling with you. But secondly, <laughs> <laughs> but secondly, you know, just sort of wrap up this segment, because we, we do have Jenna from the Young Survival Coalition on afterwards. You guys are the perfect complement and example of how organizations can actually work together, which I find extremely uh, inspiring, and it, it always served as a, uh, a beacon for me to want I2Y to follow in those footsteps and to build really meaningful and measurably impactful relationships with other significant organizations. But just what is the um, what is your position on, if I could ask this, or if this is not your mission, you don't have to say that, on the uh, early act? Actually, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and I believe the Young Survival Coalition as well, support the early act. And from Living Beyond Breast Cancer's perspective, there were a couple of things we were interested in. One is something Stephanie talked about, which is late diagnoses because doctors still don't believe after all this time that young women can get breast cancer. And there is um, language in the act that addresses educating healthcare professionals, and we think that's extremely important um, because um, they're educatable, uh, they're scientists, and they need to believe what they're seeing rather than what they're believing. And, um, and so we're very supportive of the act. And um, we, you know, we do think that um, we have to be careful about public health campaigns around uh, younger people and breast cancer and be realistic about the number of young people diagnosed with breast cancer. But um, I'm so glad to hear you say that. <laughs> I mean, I think it's... It's very important, and we obviously don't want to be creating an atmosphere of fear for young people. On the other hand, I, I don't personally see a problem with young women being familiar with the way their breasts feel, and if they feel something, going to a doctor. Now, my big issue is when they go to the doctor, is someone going to listen to them? Because what we're still seeing, I mean, we're about to celebrate our 10th anniversary of this conference, but we are still hearing over and over that women are being diagnosed late because their doctors just simply don't believe that they could have breast cancer at, their, at a young age. Um, and so we have a lot of work to do in that area. Um, 
with educating healthcare professionals. I, I, I think that young women are going to feel the changes in their breasts and they're going to know something feels foreign in their body. But if, if it takes five years to get a professional to listen to them, then we have a, a really big problem. You know, I have another question to ask about this, but why don't we bring on our second guest and we can have you both on at the same time because I'm sure you'll both have really great, great answers to add to the conversation. Sounds All great. All righty. Jenna Glazer is the, yes, this is my writer, is the Associate Director of Development for Young Survival Coalition, the premier international organization dedicated to the critical issues unique to young women and breast cancer. YSC works with survivors, caregivers, and the medical research advocacy and legislative communities to increase the quality and quantity of life for women diagnosed with breast cancer ages 40 and under. Last week, Jenna celebrated five years as a breast cancer survivor, and last month, she celebrated 27 years as a survivor of childhood ovarian cancer. Unreal. She's like a science project. Please welcome my friend, the one and only, the beautiful Jenna Glazer. Hi, Matt. Hi. Hello, my dear. I love the Knight Rider music. Thank you. Hi, Jenna. <laughs> We're trying to keep it retro. We had, a, we had like an actual... I uh, love that. Yeah. It's 80s night. It's 80s. Awesome. <laughs> it's 80s night. <laughs> so, Jenna, yeah, you've been listening to the show. We're, we're have, having a yeah. really great chat with Janine. But, I mean, as far as why, and you heard what I said before, the YSC and the LBBC mm-hmm. are an amazing pair that work incredibly well together. Thank you. Know, you. I'm, I'm the, the first person that's hard to convince for anything, and I will go to the end of the earth promoting that you guys are both incredibly great partners and do uh, great work. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Carol was like, like, uh, like, drooling over this whole early act conversation. Do you want to pick up on where we were at with Jean? I would love to. Um, and, and kudos and thank you to everybody for giving uh, Young Survival Coalition shout-outs earlier for the great work we do. I appreciate that. I've been listening in and wanting to jump into the conversation. Um, so, yes, of course Young Survival Coalition supports the early act. I think it's um, something I never really thought that I would ever see in legislation, a, a bill that it's specifically designed and focus on young women with breast cancer. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't know if anybody knows this, but on Wednesday the Health Subcommittee on Energy and Commerce is actually holding hearings on the, on the Early Act. So we're actually expecting to see something hopefully soon. Um, I think it's, it's listening to Stephanie's story, you really do hear how incredibly important it is that young women are aware of breast cancer. And I, I think, Matt, you probably know my personal story. And in the intro, you mentioned the fact that I had childhood ovarian cancer. Um, I was misdiagnosed. I have a personal history of ovarian cancer. And when I went to a very prominent breast surgeon where I live in New York City, um, told her about my symptoms, told her about my personal history of ovarian cancer, she basically blew me off and told me I shouldn't spend so much time reading things on the Internet that I didn't understand. And when I was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer nine months later, I spent a lot of time reflecting back on that conversation. And that's why the issue of awareness is so incredibly important to me because I don't believe that that has to happen to everybody. And I do believe if that happened to me, it could happen to anyone. Stephanie's a smart woman. I'm a smart woman. Um, And we didn't know that young women could get breast cancer, so I have to believe that there are a lot of women like that out there. Um, The Early Act really does talk about provider education, which I think is tremendously important, and it does talk about public awareness to young women. And I think some of the controversy around the bill, if you want to call it controversy, is what what that campaign would look like. And I've heard critics say things like, oh, we don't want to scare people. 
Um, I give women a little bit more credit than that. I think that there's appropriate education and there's age, you know, age-specific education. I think it's about the right message to the right audience in the right way at the right time. And, you know, Matt, you and I have talked about this. What is, what is awareness? What is the right message? And I think depending on the age, the message is different. I don't think it's scaring people to death. I don't think it's, you know, throwing a bunch of statistics out at people. But I think that is making them aware of the fact that they should know their own bodies, they're responsible for themselves, and if a doctor tells them something like, you shouldn't spend too much time on the Internet reading about things you don't understand, go to another doctor because that doctor sucks. Um, so, you know, that's my very long-winded way of saying we support the Early Act, and we are really excited about the possibilities of what it can do in terms of changing patient education, changing education for young women about any health issues, not just breast cancer. That's that's kind of the other thing, that this is a bill specific to breast cancer, but I think if we talk to young women about their health at an early age, they're going to take those messages of empowerment, and that's going to move into every area of their lives and their health, It's not just breast cancer. You think and it's – go ahead, Carol. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually one of those people that is really on the fence about the early act. I can't say that mm-hmm. I've been convinced to be for it, which is sort of surprising to me because I'm a huge cancer advocate and – I'm another person who was, you know, not diagnosed. No, I mean, you, most young adults who have cancer have had to go to their doctor three, yeah. four, five, six, up to ten times in order to be diagnosed or taken seriously for their signs and symptoms. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm one of these people for whom that is true as well. I guess a couple of questions that I have are, um, do you, well, self Self-breast exams, I assume that that's sort of a, a part of the education as far as women no, getting to know their bodies? or what, No, what it's, is actually, the... it's actually not the, the term. And actually the bill, I don't know if you've seen it recently, there's a new bill, and it's actually, I think, um, better written than the first bill. Uh-huh. I think it's actually great. I just saw it the other day. Um, the term that we actually use is breast self-awareness, and it's different than um, breast self-examination. Breast self-examination is really... You know, once a month, follow the shower car, get out of the shower, you know, do, do the right. whole thing. Um, that's been shown to not necessarily be effective in right. women in terms of detecting breast cancer. And I have to say, I'm not personally aware of any studies that have studied BSE in younger women. That was um, my next question. Was I, I'm very curious about if those exist for younger women or if we're just using these statistics that are... Yeah, you know, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the concept of breast self-awareness, and I, I'm, I'm not sure, I think LBBC probably has the same position that we do, is really it's about knowing your body. It's yeah. about being being familiar with your body at any time. I kind of, I was talking about this with somebody one day, and they said, well, why do you, why don't you promote BSC? I said, well, it's, it's kind of a, a little bit of a distinction. The way I look at it is like this. If you tell somebody, you know, you've got to do this thing once a, once a month and write it on your calendar and do it this way, it's like a chore, it, it's not something you want to do. Um, and so it becomes a hassle, and it becomes some kind of obligation, and there's a negative connotation associated with it. The thing that I tell people is feel your breasts. You know, you're in the shower soaping up, feel your breasts. You know, you're laying on the couch watching TV. I mean, I feel my breasts all the time. They're reconstructed. I'm always looking for something, so I'm always kind of poking around in there. Um, whatever you're thinking about something, just, you know, check it out. See what's going on, putting on lotion. We touch our bodies all the time. So, that sort of breast self-awareness, it's, it's knowing the way your breasts feel. And people have said, well, how do you know if something is, um, is different? The only way you know if something is different is if you've been feeling them all along. And I'll tell you, I have felt some people who have um, cancerous lumps in their breasts. I felt their breast lumps. 
I could tell something was different. I hadn't felt their breath before, but I could tell something was different. So I think it's really, it's the concept of knowing what's going on with you. And if you talk to breast cancer survivors, I mean, I, I have a lot of friends who are survivors. The overwhelming majority of us knew that something was wrong. Well, 90% of women who have breast cancer find out about their breast cancer because they feel something. Yeah, because, I mean, especially for for younger women, we're not, you know, we're not doing screening mammograms. So how else are you going to find out about it? You're going to find out about it because you felt it. The question is... Well, or because the doctor feels it. I guess that's my question is, what is the, what is the, how does this disease progress and what is the difference in the time frame between somebody feeling it versus waiting a couple months till perhaps their doctor feels it? And a a trained doctor's hand who knows the difference between something that maybe should be biopsied and maybe shouldn't. Because my question is, if I feel something, I mean, I'm such an adamant patient. It's like if I feel something and the doctor's like, no, that's really not something to worry about, I'm like, screw you. You're not paying attention to me. I'm going to go to a doctor who believes me and knows that this is something to worry about. Mm -hmm. However, there really are some downsides to to over-biopsying young women's breast tissue. And so where do we find that zone between people becoming aware of their bodies without being overly vigilant to the point where we're doing more biopsies than are necessary and that might have some negative repercussions down the line? I think that's a really good question. I think it really, a big part of it is provider education. Um, I think it is about really assessing every individual for their personal risk of breast cancer. You know, as Stephanie pointed out, most, most breast cancer is not hereditary. Most young women who have breast cancer don't have a family history. It's only about 5 to 10%. But when you go to a, a breast surgeon um, or if you go to a gynecologist, they can assess you for breast cancer risk. Now, I think the issue is, you know, there is that fine line between being an advocate and advocating for yourself and saying, you know, I want X. Um, and taking advice from medical professionals. I think that's why I always like the second opinion. And in my case, you know, I live in New York, and we don't get second opinions. We get fifth opinions because there are so many doctors. We just keep going. Um, I think it is important to get more than one opinion if you are not necessarily comfortable with what somebody is telling you. Um, there is a concept of watchful waiting. You know, I don't think that every lump or every, every abnormality needs to be biopsied the minute that you feel it. But I don't think that you wait for six months, nine months, a year before people do something about it. I'll give you an example. Um, I was with a colleague of mine today, and she was actually telling her survivor story. She just celebrated 10 years as a breast cancer survivor. And she was telling a story about how she went to a doctor with a palpable lump, I mean a really significant lump, and you know, told her she was too young to have breast cancer, and she kind of you know, kept going back, kept telling her she was too young. Her husband happens to be a physician, by the way. Um, and by the time that she was diagnosed, uh, I think it was over a year later, she had stage 3 breast cancer. So in that situation, you know, as this lump was growing, as it wasn't diminishing, as it didn't change with her menstrual cycle, um, should a doctor have been paying closer attention to her? You know, my, my guess, I mean, I'm not a physician, is yes. Um, yes, he should have. So it's I think as as a nonprofit organization and advocacy organization, our job is not to give people medical advice and tell them what they should do. It's really to advocate for patients to stand up for themselves. And it's it's not about um, there's one right way. It's not you know everybody who feels something goes and gets a biopsy, but it's about not being blown off, for lack of a better yeah. word. Um, it's about you know a doctor who tells me I shouldn't spend so much time on the internet. I mean that's that's really that's not a diagnosis. Um, so, it's that, it's, 
Yeah, I, I'm curious to know, because you've, you've seen a more recent version of the bill than I have, my assumption is, is that the reason why anybody would want such a bill to exist is so that we can improve survival rates of, of young women with breast cancer and so that we can oh, reduce hope so. mortality rates. And I'm curious to know, it, I mean, I don't think we know yet because <laughs> this, this bill hasn't passed and this hasn't been enacted, but you know, I'm always wondering, like, what is the most effective way to reduce mortality rates. Is this the most effective way to reduce mortality rates, or is there some other, is there scientific discovery that's the most effective way? Is there some specific kind of doctor training? Is there a component of the bill that is going to measure how effective this educating of young women is and whether or not that actually does have an impact on survival rates? There actually is something in the bill, and I wish I had it in front of me, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that was trying to talk about measurable, measurable impact. Um, I think it's tough, quite frankly. I do think that there's an attempt to do it, um, but I do think it's difficult. And I don't think it's necessarily going to be one thing. I mean, if you ask me what my fantasy was in the world of breast cancer, I'd like to see a diagnostic tool for young women. I'd like to see something that's like a cervical pap smear mm-hmm. for women that could actually, um, you know, tell them whether something was going on in their body. And there are companies that are actually trying to do things like this. Um, they're not there yet. I don't. I don't think that they've actually... Um, risen to any kind of level equivalent to a pap smear. But I think that the, one of our biggest issues, and I don't, I don't know the answer to it, is how do you diagnose younger women at an earlier stage? Because if we don't get diagnosed until we feel a lump, almost by definition you're not talking about an early stage breast cancer. You're right. talking about something that's large enough to feel. That's um, why I wonder, too, what it, how much of an impact, I guess, that window of timing, if, you, if it's about self-breast awareness and you're able to feel something. But it can be huge because you, you've got people like myself and my colleague Elaine who go to the doctor and get you know delayed for nine months to a year. I mean, I've heard of delays of two years where mm-hmm. women have you know palpable significant lumps and doctors aren't doing anything about it. So I do think there's a difference. I mean, maybe you're not going to get what you do with older women with, you know, teeny tiny little, um, you know, pin dot uh, cancers that show up on, on mammograms. I don't think you're going to find that in young women. You're not doing mammograms. But you certainly can diagnose more stage 1 and stage 2 breast cancers as opposed to stage 3 and stage 4. And if you look at survival rates, obviously there are significantly diff- sure. uh, different rates for your stage 1 and stage 2 versus your stage 3 and your stage 4. So you I, think I, a, a size tumor that's stage one or stage two is something that a woman, like young woman, is going to be able to detect in her body. Oh, absolutely! I know a uh-huh. lot of women who have detected uh-huh. stage one breast cancer. Absolutely. Okay. Matt, you you had a question. Jump in. Jump in. Yeah, right, I'd plugging. like to. I'd like to hear from. Um, yeah, we'll get some testosterone back. I'd like to hear <laughs> from, you know, Ginny and Jenna on on this particular question. I'm going to make a statement here. Um, and just before I start, you know, Fran Drescher likes to say that the cure is stage one. So, and my my whole beef is that we have to reduce. I know Marsha likes to say prompt detection, but in layman's yeah. terms, it means we want to prevent people from getting Robitussin for brain cancer, which is yes. what I got. Yes. So, you know, reducing the risk of getting diagnosed stage four and ensuring that you are diagnosed at stage one or two is kind of a scary language. Right. But I read something recently, and it was on like Scientific American or whatever, that there's a um, a post-pubescent hormone in human beings that isn't released until your early 20s, which instills fear. So this whole notion of invulnerability, invincibility, it can't happen to me, I'm not interested in worrying about it, is that really an issue that you're looking to tackle or are you you're trying to focus on the battles you can win where awareness will only go so far where you're going you're gonna to scare the people who are going to be scared, 
You're not going to scare the people who aren't going to be scared. And the people that are invisible and smoking aren't going to give a shit anyway. But with that said, is the burden of responsibility or the barrier more so on the educating the doctor to consider the possibility that young adults can and do get cancer, or is it on the women to be more uh, aggressive or uh, advocating on their own on behalf of their own bodies, but yet they go to a doctor that says it's nothing? Um, Janine? I, I really think that the burden's on the healthcare professional. I think that for us to expect that we're going to change centuries of beliefs that young people have that they're <laughs> – Going that there's a risk to them at a young age would be virtually it's virtually impossible to to confront that issue. And doctors are trained to examine um, individuals and make diagnoses. And what we're really dealing with is is beliefs about the age of people who can get breast cancer. Um, and I think that is something that we have a much better chance of making a difference at. Um, so, I mean, that's that's just my personal opinion, but uh, I'm interested in what Jenna has to say on that. Well, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I think it's it's the reason why we all see each other at ASCO, and some of us see each other at San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. I mean, we're there because we're we're reaching out to the medical community and talking about the issues of young women and breast cancer. I absolutely think that that's essential. Um, but I do think that there is, a, there, there is a component of awareness to individuals, and I definitely think you're right. I mean, there, there are always going to be people who are going to say, like, it's not me, it's never going to happen to me. I definitely think that that happens. But I think to what you guys were talking about before I got on the line, you know, with Stephanie, when you hear powerful stories, and this is one of the reasons why I love um, when people do articles that really, you know, feature young survivors. Self did a great piece on Steph last fall. Um, when when people are really profiled as individuals and they tell powerful stories, I believe that those stories stay with people. I think when you look at somebody who looks like you and when you hear what happened to them, I think it makes it harder to say it could never be me. And I think that it when something does happen to somebody, somewhere in the back of your mind is that story of, wow, I heard this story about this you know, woman who was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer at 30. Or, I mean, I know women who are diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer at 21. You know, you tell those stories, and I do think that there's something that sticks with people. So I think it's, I think it's both things. I think there is a responsibility on the provider, absolutely. But I think that as a, as a woman who experienced misdiagnosis, and I look back on that and say, well, don't I wish I could have done something differently if maybe I was a little bit smarter about this issue? Yeah, I do. And I think it depends on the person. I think there are people who um, take their health very seriously, listen to those messages, and I do think we can get to some people. I don't think we can get to everybody. I absolutely think there is going to be that group who just, you know, it's not going to be them, it's never going to happen to them. But you've got to try. You know, I think it's a multifaceted approach. You've got to, you've got to try to kind of hit people at all different angles. With the barrier we're not talking about, which is irrelevant to whether you're invincible or not, whether you find something or not, or whether your doctor is aware of this or not, is can you actually get to your doctor, which is what Carol just yeah. posted in the chat room. I mean, this is probably a topic for a whole of the show because we only got about five or ten minutes left. Healthcare issues? But yeah, healthcare issues, you know, yeah. the underinsured, the uninsured, you know, yep. they're not going to cover it. Oh, you, you had, um, you know, um, chickenpox and you were sick. That's a pre-existing condition, yeah. you know, things like that. So, you know, you know uh, for a whole other, whole other conversation, but do you have any quick, quick responses to that? 
I think it's, I mean, it's an absolute huge challenge. There, there are programs in the U.S. that do provide free screening and free diagnostic um, services for women who, you know, may have breast cancer. The overwhelming majority of those cannot be used by women under the age of 40. And we actually have, um, Young Survival Coalition has a resource link guidebook. We list all of the states, and we list all of the states who actually do have diagnostic, um, free diagnostic services available for young women. And it's really sad because there aren't enough of them. Um, and that's an absolute barrier. I, I speak to people all the time who don't have health insurance. Um, and I think it's a, it's a real challenge because there is a system that's set up um, through the Breast and Cervical, I think is it the Breast and Cervical Protection Act, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't, doesn't apply to our young survivors. We've, we've been able, every once in a while, our CEO, Marcia Stein, has a great background in health care, and every once in a while we get a call in from somebody who's having a hard time getting diagnosed. They know something's wrong or they need a test or something, and she gets on the phone. She knows healthcare inside and out, and she will find someone. She'll find someone to do the test. Um, but it's tough. It's a, it's a definite challenge that people face. There are a lot of young people who are uninsured and underinsured, um, and we try to help them as best we can. There are also other um, nonprofit organizations that, that can do that as well. It's especially, you know, the underinsured um, word is so important here, too, because a lot of young adults who the only thing they can afford maybe is catastrophic mm-hmm. coverage. It's really hard because, you know, like you guys both said, if you have to go to a doctor for a second or third or fourth or fifth opinion until you can get someone to believe you, none of that's covered. You know, if you have catastrophic, that kicks in after you're mm-hmm. diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, you know, it's such, I think, a, a key issue for young adults that we can't separate the education about diagnosis and early detection from our ability to go to the doctors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm curious, have either of your organizations been doing any outreach or um, any awareness or advocacy around health care reform? Okay. Oh. <laughs> you want me to take this question? We, we, have, um, we have not directly, but I, as far as I know, um, I think really primarily our, our legislative involvement most recently has been with the Early Act. Um, you know, I think it's it's somewhat difficult for an or I mean, we're a relatively small nonprofit organization and we don't have an advocacy department, so it's not exactly the easiest thing for us to just kind of jump in. We are, of course, a member of the National Breast Cancer Coalition, who's very active in politics, and they have a um, a very strong position on health care reform. Living beyond breast cancers and pretty much the exact same situation. We mm-hmm. don't have an advocacy department, but we're we're interested in becoming involved in the issue. Um, it, it is just really difficult when there isn't someone with um, policy expertise on staff to yeah. advise you, but we are a member also of um, the National Breast Cancer Coalition. Great. So, I, you know, we, of course, have gone over time, as we always do when we're in the midst so of chatty. great conversations. <laughs> Um, I could talk about, I mean, I could listen to breast conversation all night. We know you could. We know you could. Just go to to that cute little video that's on YouTube right now, and you can check it out there. Um, Yeah, so tell everybody in in listener land again what your URLs are and how people can get in touch with you. You guys both have incredible websites with so much good information. Thank you. Um, Well, we are at www.youngsurvival.org. You can also check out our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Young Survival Coalition. 
Um, we're updating all the time. I actually was just uh, on our fundraising ride, the Hershey's Tour de Pink, over the last four days, and I've been posting videos and photos. I've learned from Matthew, who like likes to upload everything, so I'm uploading everything. Um, and we're really trying to use that to kind of, um, you know, put everything that's going on in October in our organization um, and make sure that people have the resources that they need as young women. Um, and I know that LBBC does the same. Well, you can reach us at our website. It's lbbc.org. And I would also encourage folks to visit the website of our conference uh, that we do with the Young Survival Coalition, um, and that is youngsurvivorsconference.org. Um, we're also on Facebook. You can find us uh, by putting in Living Beyond Breast Cancer. And um, folks might also be interested in seeing a couple of videos that we have about young women affected by breast cancer, and you can find those at our YouTube page. Well, you guys kick ass. Yes, you do. Both of you. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah. uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's a shining example in a black sea of death that you find <laughs> two very powerful uh, seven-figure organizations that can actually find mutual avenues to work together productively, meaningfully, and impactfully. So congratulations. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. All right, so that's our show. Uh, Janine Guglielmino and Jenna Glazer, thank you for joining us. Thank there you. Get the applause out. All righty, guys. We didn't really have much of a chance to talk about the uh, the breast commercials and the shitstorm of hellfire that was my Facebook status last night, but uh, I'm sure that will continue to come up in conversation. Pink, pink, pink. Ping, 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 ping. Well, you know, I think what's important to me is that it's, you know, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we can either, like, talk about the pink or bash the pink or love the pink, but all in all, what's most important is that we're having real conversations where we're educating each other about it, like what just happened. I mean, that's what I want to see during Breast Cancer Awareness Month is more conversations like this. Yeah, and that, that's the whole point, too. And it was, it, it was an unwitting social experiment, but I, for the record for everyone out there, if you go to my Facebook uh, thread, um, facebook.com slash Zachary, and you scroll down to yesterday, I changed my status last night to the word pink, but I changed it was pink like 25 times in a row because I only had 160 characters. And I just allowed the content of the comments to ensue. I didn't chime in. I had nothing else to say about it. And like 45 comments later, it got ugly. <laughs> So we started chiming in, a bunch of us, and it got uglier, and then it got prettier. But I just thought it was such a social commentary on how disparate people's perceptions are uh, generationally or disease-wise, uh, specifically to, you know, to, to this whole, uh, you know, invasion of our Crayola. Carol? Wake up, Carol. Silenced again. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that much silence since your last piano recital, man. Oh, thank you very much. I haven't heard that much silence since we said the word health coverage. I know. They just they <laughs> dipped up. What a conversation stopper. Health insurance? What? Yeah. Ah. Well, but, uh, yeah, well, next week is going to be an even more interesting show because it's all about uh, conspiracies and uh, misgivings and really bad judgments on the part of uh, of big corporations as they try to do well, really don't, make a ton of money, and abuse consumers. You are just the Michael Moore of the young adult cancer world, are you not, Matthew? 
You know, it's it's is that it's, a fat joke? <laughs> <laughs> That's rude, Carol. I am a lot better looking than that guy. But in any case, um, I hope you guys have a great week. I'm going to San Francisco. Uh, you going anywhere, Carol? I am so staying put. Good. <laughs> I'm I'm nesting. It's fall. I'm nesting. I'm drinking cider and blogging. And, and if anybody's interested, I had this um, big uh, article yesterday in the Chicago Tribune about cancer and blogging and cancer blogging. So um, go check out the, the Tribune. I'd love to hear what you guys have to think about blogging and cancer blogging and if blogging has helped you through your time with cancer. And uh, I think we're going to start a fake Facebook Facebook group that says Jack needs to stop traveling so much and take care of himself. Because I have a he's, cough. He's, going, he's been coughing the whole show. <laughs> And he's going to Orlando, Tampa, Tampa, uh, to go see U2 for the 47th time in the last two weeks. That's a lot of days in the last two weeks. Too bad Pignosia isn't 47 days. Yeah. Oh, my God. The gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, so I'm actually going to uh, catch up with some of our Tampa people and some of our Baltimore people when I get back because I'm coming home via Baltimore. So I'm going to see Allie and that girl, uh, Dory. Is that her name? Dory. <laughs> Dory something. Dory something. All right, folks, it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Pink Breast Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests, Stephanie LaRue, Janine Guglielmino, and Jenna Glazer, and our live studio audience member, Kelly Johnson. Next week's show as we continue our Pink Nausea Crusade. In the spotlight, Courtney Bugler, Young Adult Breast Cancer Survivor, Executive Director of the Young Survival Coalition's Atlanta Chapter. Kasha Ho, Program Manager for Breast Cancer Action. And Deborah Davis, Director of the Center for Environmental Oncology and author of The Secret History of the War on Cancer. If you missed any of our previous shows, check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com or subscribe to our podcast at iTunes. I2Y.com. If you don't already have a copy of Carol's book, Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in Your 20s and 30s, it is available wherever books are sold. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week, my friends, live from the chemo deck, Jack Buford, Carol Rosenthal, Captain Stewie, and I wish you all a great evening. Go to bed, job. Fucker out. <laughs>